Okay, so the plan, just real quick, for the rest of Luke, we're down to two. Who's excited? Uh, this week we're going to do... So wait, let me, do all, let me tell you what we've been through all of chapter 24. Uh, the first week was the resurrection really happened. We talked about like the historicity of the resurrection. The second week was, last week, was it was always part of God's plan and story. This week, what we're going to do is why did the resurrection happen? Uh, why did the resurrection happen? That's the word I'm looking for. And then next week, we're going to do the ascension, the part nobody ever talks about. And we're going to close the book of Luke. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke 24 today. We'll just jump right. No big fancy introduction today. Uh, we're jumping right into the text. So uh, let's see. Verse 36. Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said, peace to you. So if you remember the story from last week, uh, what happened was these two disciples were walking on the road seven miles away from Jerusalem, the road to Emmaus. And as they were walking, um, uh, Jesus appeared to them, but they didn't recognize Jesus. It said their eyes were kept from seeing him. And the whole time they were walking and talking, they start discussing the crucifixion and all this stuff. And Jesus walks them through the whole Old Testament. And he shows them why it was necessary that it had to happen. Then they get to where they're going and they're having dinner and Jesus breaks the bread. And all of a sudden the veil is lifted from their eyes. They see who he is. And they go, oh, it's Jesus. And he disappears. Magic. Sparkles and probably threw glitter in the air. I'm guessing. Filling in the details. And um, he, he takes off. And they're like, oh, man, you know, wasn't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? Of course it was Jesus. We got to get back and tell the other disciples. So they just walked seven miles. Now they turn around and they probably very briskly walk seven miles. Run back to the, where the, the 11 disciples are and the women and everybody. And Cleopas, and remember we said it was probably his wife. It might not have been, but it was probably his wife. Um, they, they walk back and uh, <laughs> they bust into the room where all the just, we saw Jesus. And the disciples go, uh, yeah, I know. Welcome to like three hours ago, guy. We already seen Jesus, you know. Uh, he, he, earlier today, he appeared to Peter. And so here we pick up the, this is like literally, this break in our sermon is just it's the next thing. So then they're all sitting around. And the Cleopas and the other disciple, they've just come back, and they're all, like, talking about, Cleopas is probably telling the whole story of, and then he told us this from Isaiah, and he opened Ezekiel and Hosea and Kings and, you know, all these things, and he's explaining it. And they're right in the middle of it, and then Jesus himself walks, is, uh, is standing there. Whoa, you know, you ever been startled like that? Um, one of my favorite pastimes in the whole world is to try to startle Melissa without making a noise. Right. This is our. Uh, this is our. I've been doing this since I don't know, probably junior high. Uh, but if you stand in the right place when somebody turns, you know, they get startled. So it's cheating if you have to go boo. But if you can just stand there and startle them, that's kind of what happens here. But it's important that it says Jesus Himself. Okay. So I told you I just finished Lord of the Rings. You know, I've been reading Lord of the Rings for a little while. That's a fantastic. Mm. Good job, Tolkien. There. Anyway, there's a part where Gandalf dies. I'm spoiling it, but it was written in the. When was it written? Probably the 40s or something? 50s? 30s? I have no idea, actually. Anyway, so it was written a long time ago, so you had time to read it and watch the movies are 20 years old now. So there's a part where Gandalf dies, and then he comes back. And when he comes back, Gandalf is like the wizard. He's the gray wizard. And he comes back, and he's now the white wizard. So he's like, he's, it's kind of different. 
And when they say to him, the little uh, hobbits or whatever, they call him Gandalf. And he, he, there's a spot where he goes, oh, yes. That is what they used to call me. And so there's this weird, like, it's, it is Gandalf who's come back, but it's also kind of not really Gandalf. He's, like, new. He's different. It's not quite the same guy. The thing here with this is, the thing with uh, Jesus' resurrection is there's absolutely none of that. Right? It is Jesus, he himself. It's the same guy, the same guy that stood there, and, you know, we'll talk about this in a sec, but, uh, who spent the whole time with them, the whole three years. So he stood there. Uh, we know from, I think it's John, it tells us this is a locked room. So people go absolutely nuts here. Someday when we have resurrection bodies, we'll be able to walk through walls. You know, they really kind of add all this sort of stuff to it. But, uh, okay, even if Jesus walked through a wall, that doesn't mean that's how our resurrection bodies are going to work first off. And second off, you know the story where Peter's in jail and an angel just busts open the lock and then he, he walks out? Maybe Jesus just opened the door because he's Jesus and he can bust up in a lock if he needs to, right? So let's not go nuts. And he says to them, peace to you, which was a common first century greeting, but also probably, hey, it's okay. I'm here. I come in peace, you know, because they're probably freaking out, right? Because it says here, they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. How is it that they were freaking out? Think about this for a sec. How did this work? The angels had already told the women, <laughs> Jesus came back from the dead. He's resurrected. Mary Magdalene has seen him and had a conversation with him. He's appeared to Peter. Cleopas and the other disciple have seen him on the road to Emmaus. And then he shows up and they're frightened. Two reasons. Because, one, he was crucified. They saw him get crucified. That's a pretty big hurdle to get over. See a guy get crucified and then see him on Monday. The second reason is because... Um, uh, Think about the story of the crucifixion, right? How it happened. Everybody except John and the women, they abandoned him in his time of need. And we don't usually talk about this, but the truth is Jesus, even coming back from the dead, accepting his disciples back that all abandoned him is not a given, right? It, there's a very good chance that they were thinking all day, oh no, he did come back and he's probably pretty mad at me. You know, you know, that, you know that feeling when... You forget to text somebody back because you're lazy, and then you're going to something that you realize they're going to be there. Yeah, did you all just have that feeling? You know what I mean? Okay, it's like that times a million, right? It's, they have really, they've, they really forgot to text Jesus back, right? They abandoned him in his time of need, and now he's coming back, and they're thinking, uh, I, I don't know. And they also think, Maybe what we saw today was just a ghost or spirit. First century folks had lots of stories about ghosts and spirits. And so there, it's, no, it's no surprise that um, uh, a lot, that's what they were thinking, right? A lot of them were, um, uh, grew up with these stories. And so when they saw Jesus, th their first thought would not have been, I bet he was resurrected. Nobody thought resurrection was going to happen in the middle of history. They all, all these Jewish folks that believed in resurrection thought it was going to happen at the end. So they're just trying to figure it out. And verse 38, he says to them, why are, your, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? Um, there's a commentator guy, Michael Wilcock, he says this. He describes these disciples in these resurrection stories as believing and unbelieving, startled and joyful, and afraid all at once. 
Okay, so this is what I love about these resurrection stories. They're very real. Nothing about these guys is heroic. They believe and then they don't believe and then they're confused and then they understand and then it's a very human, humans, we come, we, um, we're very contradictory internally, right? And this is the, the, the picture that's portrayed of these guys. They don't know what's going on and they're trying to figure it out and when they think they do, then they don't. He says, so Jesus tells him, look, uh, see my hands and feet, that it's I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So the hands and feet is obviously, this is where the nails went. And so he says, look, touch my hands, look at my feet. You can, so somehow, at least with Jesus, the scars from his death and resurrection lasted into his resurrected body. I mean, from his death, lasted into his resurrection body. I don't think it's enough to say all my tattoos are going to be there in my resurrection body. You know, we're not going to extrapolate from this. We're just going to say, at least with Jesus, you could see his hands and his feet. And again, he says it, um, see that it is I myself. He's trying to tell them, it really, really is me. Peter, do you remember how we all made fun of you uh, because you constantly said the wrong thing and then we would all sit around the campfire and laugh about that? Jesus says, that was really me that was there laughing. And John, do you remember how we used to tease you about being the youngest? And, uh, you know, Thomas or, who, you know, like, guys, I remember, it really was me. We walked and we talked and we ate and you saw me heal people and all that. It really is the same guy. And when he had said this, he, uh, oh, wait, sorry, I should have read that with the last one. He showed them his hands and his feet. Um, so he shows these guys his hands and his feet. And then Thomas, who's not here. And we, we read the Thomas story in John. But Thomas is not here. He's out getting Starbucks or whatever. He comes back and they go, so Thomas didn't pull this out of thin air. He didn't say, unless I see his hands and his feet. What he's saying is, how come you guys got to see his hands and his feet? I want to see. And then I'll believe. You know, that's the doubting Thomas story. But uh, I think it was eight days later. Think about that. Eight days until Thomas gets to see Jesus. I want to ask him about that. That's kind of a bummer. And then... Uh, and while they they still disbelieved with joy, uh, sorry. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, "Have you anything here to eat?" And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. So it says they're marveling. Part of marveling, I think, is like, it's not just oh that's cool. It's that is really cool, and it caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting that thing to happen. That's kind of the the sense behind this word. It's like, um, you know, let's see. I mean, you guys were here when Barry Bonds was hitting home runs, right? You guys weren't, but you know Barry Bonds, right? Okay, Barry Bonds had a lot of games where he hit two home runs. It happened a lot. And whenever it happened, all of us went, that was pretty cool, uh, but that was it. We, nobody went, I can't believe that happened. Fast forward a few years, Madison Bumgarner, Giants pitcher, opening day against the Dodgers in L.A., I think it was. No, was it here? I don't remember. Anyway, against Clayton Kershaw, though, from the Dodgers, our arch rival, Madison Bumgarner, our pitcher, had a game where he hit two home runs. The pitcher hit two home runs in a game, and we were marveling. Why? Because it was amazing what happened, but also it completely caught us off guard, right? Nobody was expecting that. That's what the disciples are going through here. Even after all they've seen Jesus do, this is above and beyond what they thought was possible. And so they're marveling, and they're, you know, they're looking at his hands and his feet, and he says, hey, why don't you give me... Let me prove it to you that I'm not a ghost. Give me something to eat. So they give him some broiled fish. And again, imaginations are great. Uh, we can fill in the details as long as it doesn't change the passage. But I'm, I'm imagining it happening like this. 
Um, the disciples are very tense. And, um, uh, you know, they're very clammed up. They, they're very nervous. Am I having dinner with a ghost? Is this really Jesus? I mean, it's a big thing to have happened. They're in shock. Jesus, he knew this was going to happen all along. He knew this was the plan. So I'm imagining Jesus is a lot more laid back. And I'm guessing he probably does what I do in situations where everybody's tense. He tells jokes and he says something like, what, just because you guys thought I was dead, you couldn't season the fish? Come on, man. Or, you know, something like that. I'm guessing, you know, he was trying to get them to loosen up and believe what was uh, happening right before them. Um, And then we're going to, so this is the last verse we're going to read from our passage today. I want to just read real quick. It's kind of a transition to our passage for next week. The, The same story, but from the book of John. So on the evening of that day, so this is at night when Cleopas comes back, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. That's key. We're going to talk about that next week. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, uh, it is withheld. So there was a little bit more that happened here uh, than in the book of Luke. So Jesus, he, he prays for them and gives them the Holy Spirit. And um, he uh, says, look, I'm going to send you on a mission. And the point being, um, the resurrection applies to us, the story of the resurrection it applies to us theologically, right? How do we relate to God is drastically impacted by the resurrection. But at the same time, in this John passage, we see it requires, it applies to us missionally. How do we relate to the people around us? How do you relate to your friends and your neighbors? So today, what I want to do is focus on the first one. We're going to kind of hit that second one a little bit more next week. So today, what we're, how we're going to end this here, I mean, end it, right? Um, what's the thing the pastors say? Uh, So in my first wrap-up, you know, my first conclusion, right, that's how they all go. Anyway, uh, today, kind of the bulk of this is going to be, I want to talk about the theological importance of the resurrection. And I actually had, okay, this is what happened this week. I was writing this. Actually, this happened last week. I was writing this last week, because that's when I write them the week before. And I had this big, long, elaborate outline, and it was really good. You guys, it was so good. Okay. And then... Uh, I was looking something up, and I was like, let me look at the New City Catechism real quick. And I pulled it up. And then I said, oh, the New City Catechism basically has all of these same points that I'm making, but in the catechism thing. So that's what, then I scratched everything I had. And what I want to do is I want to walk us through the New City Catechism, question 50. What does Christ's resurrection mean for us? Okay, so it says this. I'll read you the whole thing, and then I want to walk through it bit by bit. So theologically, this is what it means for us specifically and how we relate to the Father. Christ triumphed over sin and death by being physically resurrected so that all who trust in him are raised to new life in this world and and to everlasting life in the world to come. Just as we will one day be resurrected, so this world will one day be restored. But those who do not trust in Christ will be raised to everlasting death. So let's go through this just bit by bit. First, the first clause, Christ triumphed over sin and death. 
Evil and death is not the way the world is supposed to be. We've talked about this a lot in the book of Luke. And the world, you know, the world is not, people are not supposed to die. Um, like, I mean, just yesterday, I was at a funeral. And, uh, okay, two things happened at this funeral that made me think about death. The first is, I mean, the guy died, right? He was my friend, Alan. I've known him. He was a guy from my old church that I grew up in. And he was, I mean, he was in his 90s. But I've known him literally my whole life, right? My entire adult, I mean, my entire life I've known this guy. So the first thing is everybody's sad because he's dead. But what, what else happened at this funeral was we were all there, people from my old church who have all kind of scattered. We all came back for this funeral. And something else happened that really kind of bummed me out was all of these people that I knew really well and respect and who discipled me, uh, they all got really old and frail, and there were people in wheelchairs. And then, like, there was one guy who kind of mentored me when I was younger. I mean, he's like my parents' age. He's only in his 60s. Uh, He had, I I found out yesterday, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, right? And he was kind of having trouble speaking and that kind of brokenness, that's not the way the world is supposed to be. My buddy's not supposed to have Parkinson's. We're not supposed to die. We're not supposed to get together and cry. If you know. Jesus wept over death. That verse, Jesus wept, what it means is he looked at how broken the world was, and it made him cry. Now, uh, in theology, there's a thing called the atonement, which is like the you know, salvation, right? The atonement. And there's all these theories of the atonement. The Bible, what it does is it uses a whole bunch of different pictures to describe one thing. And what theologians do is they fight over which one of those pictures is the main one. And I'm kind of like, well, they're all pretty good, you know. Uh, And so one of those that Protestant churches have really thrown to the side is called um, Christus Victor, which, like, the the victorious Christ. Um, It's one one of the big pictures in Scripture is one of war. Right? God uses the, the imagery of war to talk about how he's at war with the devil and the enemy and how we've rebelled against him and all this stuff. And the picture that happens is that God is going to win this war. And when Jesus stepped out of that tomb Sunday morning, the victory was won. Christ was victorious. After this, the devil has no hope. Um, I'll read to you from Revelation. So I don't have the verses for all this up on the slides here. They're in the thing if you want to read them later. But from Revelation 1, It's when I saw him, that's John seeing Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. This is Jesus describing himself. Fear not. I am the first and the last. I, uh, sorry, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. So he's saying, I have resurrected. And the end of the verse is, because I've resurrected, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Right? What Jesus says is, me and death were at war, but it's over, right? I have the keys. I've won. I'm in control. Or in Corinthians, right? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So what Adam and Eve failed to do, Jesus did. He crushed the head of the serpent. He triumphed over death. And as his people, we're on his team. We're on the winning team. Um, Last year, James Wiseman got a... um, You guys know who James Wiseman is? Probably not. Does anybody in this room know who James Wiseman is? No. Okay, so James Wiseman was a Warriors draft pick a couple years ago. He's big and tall. He's like seven foot something. Big dude. He's pretty good. Middle, beginning of last year or before the season, I forget. He tore his ACL or something out for the year. So he sat on the bench in very nice clothes the whole season. And then Steph Curry went bananas and won a championship. And James Wiseman got a ring. Didn't play a second. 
He's got a big fat diamond. He gets credit. When you go to James Wiseman's Wikipedia page, it is going to say 2022 NBA champion. He gets credit for the victory he had nothing to do with. That's how Jesus stepped out of the grave. He defeated death. And because we're on his team, we're on the winning team, right? We get credit for that victory. So that's the first thing. The resurrection means Jesus is the victorious king, right? The second thing. uh, So Christ triumphed over sin and death by being physically resurrected. So he was physically resurrected, not just resuscitated and brought back from the dead. Lazarus, the widow's son at Nain, the little girl, the daughter, um, you know, the story from Elijah, the Shunammite's son, like these were all resuscitations. Somebody brought back from the dead. Um, This happens also not miraculously. People are resuscitated. Somebody dies and they get that thing out, clear, you know, I don't actually know what that thing does, but um, uh, what? Yeah, it's, was it fairy dust or something? Pfft, right, into, right into the heart. It gets the heart started back up. So they do that, right? People are resuscitated. They come back from death. Resurrection is something different. Resurrection is turning back the brokenness, right? God is putting the whole world back together, and that includes our physical bodies, our broken, like, like you know, we're, we get Alzheimer's, and we have bad backs, right? Me and Albert, we're bad back buddies. And, you know, we break our legs or feet, Dennis on the podcast as he's listening to this, right? This stuff happens, but um, Jesus is putting the world back together. And uh, what that means is that his resurrection was a resurrection of his physical, actual body, right? The, The physical stuff that made up Jesus. And the new body is different, but it's connected. Like, have you thought about this ever? Have you ever noticed that nobody recognizes Jesus right away? Isn't that weird? Like, you just hung out with this guy for three years. Okay, I, um, I heard an illustration that really hits us uh, well, that explains what happens. So when Jesus was resurrected, what he received is a resurrection body. And our resurrection bodies, the idea is this is the way that it's supposed to be. You looking at me now, this is not the way I'm supposed to be. And so the illustration goes like this. Imagine that you had a childhood friend, best friend when you were a kid. Then you don't see each other ever, you know, you fifth grade's over and you go to different middle schools or something and you separate, you know, you move to a different city or something. And then you bump into each other as adults. You all know that feeling, right? When you've seen somebody like this, when you go, wait, is that you? Like you're all grown up now. Well, of course it is, but it also isn't, right? It is them, but it is, you know, That's kind of what happened to Jesus, I think. That's why Mary didn't recognize him right away. Because he looked like himself, but he didn't look like himself. He was in that perfect sort of resurrected body. And, okay, so this idea of being physically resurrected means that our our future bodies are going to be this physical, material body. And what this means is it's an affirmation, too, of the material world. Um, Greek philosophy. You guys love Greek philosophy? Uh, There's this guy. His name was Plato. Uh, And he had this idea, I mean, it's all over Greek philosophy, but this idea of dualism. And what Plato believed was that the material world was bad and that it was a cheap copy of like a non-material, it's kind of hard to get into, a realm of ideas. And so what a lot of people in the ancient world believed was that the physical material world was bad. And so much of Greek philosophy is infested with this idea. Your body is bad, physical things are bad. You know, something like eating food, enjoying that is bad because that's a physical thing, right? 
Um, and a lot of that seeped into Christianity early on. Um, and that happened in two ways. First, just a lot of Christians picked up on this idea that somehow your body is bad and it's icky and you should be ashamed. And it's, you know, I mean, we see this around now, right? So folks in the faith talk really negative about material things, sex, food and drink, art, things that are beautiful, enjoying music, right? Um, If you don't believe me that that's how Christians are, just go to youth group ever anywhere in the country. The second thing, though, is there was actually a full-on religion that branched off from Christianity with this idea. It was called Gnosticism, where it they basically said the material world is bad and Jesus wasn't physically resurrected. Uh, He was spiritually resurrected and the resurrected Jesus, you know, didn't leave footprints in the sand and all this kind of stuff. Right. And so like a whole new Testament books were written to combat that, that teaching. But what we see here uh, is if the resurrection really was physical, then it's an affirmation of the material world. I love that. And so in the face of all this negative stuff, the resurrection gives us a a different idea. This is what God created. He created, he didn't create us spiritual beings. He created us beings with a soul and a body. So I can lean, I can touch things, and I can hear, and I can see, and I can smell. All, you know, all these senses. This is who we are as beings. We're not weird spirits, you know, that are going to float around in the afterlife or something. We're going to have physical, actual bodies. And that's what he talks about next, right? So that all who trust in him are raised to new life. Um, this new life, I'm going to not spend a ton of time on this, but um, this new life is, happens in two ways. One is physical, like I just talked about. The other, though, is spiritual, um, is like a spiritual raising. There's a verse in First Peter where Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we've been born again. We have these new, this new life within us. So just like Jesus died and was raised, us now spiritually, like that's the idea behind baptism, we're, we're, we're acting out that play, right? Where we die and we come back. And because... We trust in him. That's what it says. So that all who trust in him, that's the people who get to have this new life within them. Let's keep going. Uh, in this world and the everlasting life and to everlasting life in the world to come. So the first is this new life happens to us here and now. We don't want to focus on eternity so much, right, and the resurrection bodies and be so eternally focused that it makes us ignore the power of the resurrection in our lives now. Um, we want to be the kind of people who um, live into resurrection truth everyday life right now. Um, but we also want to be the kind of people who are looking to the world to come. Um, I actually think this, the more that you think about heaven, the more it's going to change the way you live now. Um, one of the nicest things anybody ever said to me, I think I've told you this before, was the guy, I actually saw him yesterday, when I was leaving my old church, he said, I'm going to miss your preaching you know, and people are always nice to preachers, so I, I, I kind of hate, I, I always ask a like, follow-up question. Oh, yeah, what did you like about like the way I do the teaching? He says, you talk about heaven more than anybody i ever seen. And I thought about it, and it's not on purpose. Like, I never consciously went, boy, I should talk about heaven more. I just did, right? And I was like, yeah, that always stuck with me. And I think that's important, right? The more we talk about heaven, the more it's going to impact the way that we live uh, in the world now. And so we got to think this life that I'm beginning to experience now is going to receive its fullness in the world to come. He keeps, uh, the catechism keeps going, just as we will one day be resurrected, so the world will one day be restored. 
So the idea of heaven, the way that most people think about it, I talk about this a lot, really sucks, <laughs> right? The picture that we have of heaven that comes from TV and movies is terrible. Everybody plays the harp. Everybody wears white. There's a bunch of fat babies eating cream cheese. Do you remember those commercials? The, little <laughs> the cream cheese commercials. Uh, this is not what heaven is like. And it makes me not want to go to heaven, right? Uh, that's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is one of continuity, but also of restoration. The world that's coming is the, is the better version of the world here. Um, but it's without the brokenness. So a few years ago, John is probably the only one that remembers this. A few years ago, this guy left an iPhone prototype in a bar. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's a big deal, right? And I'm going to go ahead and guess he got called into the principal's office when he went to work on Monday and got in trouble. And all the tech people, somebody found it and took a bunch of pictures of, do you remember what iPhone it was, like six or seven or something? It was like back, it was a while back, right? And took pictures of it. And everybody looked at this new iPhone and said, I think it's way better than the version we have now, than the 5 or whatever. Nobody looked at it and said, it's completely different. I wouldn't even recognize this as an iPhone. What they saw was, oh, it's like something better is coming. But having that iPhone that the guy left in the bar was kind of the proof that these new iPhones were around the corner. right? Jesus' resurrected body is the iPhone that got left at the bar. Okay? Uh, the new ones aren't out yet. We don't have our resurrected bodies yet. But there's one out there in the wild. We have the prototype. And we can look at the prototype and say, you know, Jesus is the first, that prototype, it's the firstborn of the iPhone 7 or whatever, 6. We can pick it up and say, this is what's coming. And there's a continuity there, right? It looks just like the other iPhones. Right now, you guys, you know what it's like to eat. Right? When I say, isn't eating fun? You're all picturing a restaurant, aren't you? Some great, or some great food that you love to make. Right? You know what it's like to sit in a chair on vacation and watch the sunset without worries of work and that sort of stuff. You know what it's like to be curious and then to go online and to learn something new. Right? I mean, am I the only one that does it? It's really fun to watch Heaven do this right now. Dad, tell me about Cuba. Cuba, where'd you learn about Cuba? I don't know. All right, let's go look up. You know? <laughs> or uh, the other day we were walking around um, Paris on Google Street View because she wanted to learn about Paris, right? So you know what that's like to wonder about something and learn something. You know what it's like to build things, right? Like you've, I mean, maybe, I don't know how to build anything. Um, this week uh, we put some stuff together and uh, Josue did all the work for me. He came over to my house and I got to hold the flashlight for Josue building something. Um, but anyway, the point is, you know what the world is like. And when you get your very own resurrected body and you enter the world to come, you're not going to feel out of place. What you're going to feel is home, like, you're not going to feel homesick. Boy, I really miss my apartment on Clay Street or on Pacific, or, you know, I really miss my old place. What you're going to feel is the whole time I was there, I was missing this and I didn't even know it, right? This is home. This is the way that it's supposed to be. And you're going to realize that you were constantly longing for there. And then you're going to eat something. And you're going to realize, boy, I've had food, but I've never had food like this. And you're going to sit in a chair and you're going to watch the sunset. But uh, this sunset in the new heavens and new earth is not going to look any, you know, I mean, it's going to blow your mind. Like the first time you saw an HDTV back in the day. Does anybody else remember the first time they saw an HDTV? I remember I was at the store and Barry Bonds was batting, speaking of Barry Bonds, 
And I was like, you can see the blades of grass? This is unbelievable, right? And you're going to watch that sunset, and you're going to go, every sunset was kind of like this, but this is so much better. And then you're going to learn something. We're not going to be all-knowing as soon as we get to heaven. You're going to be curious about things, and you're going to learn, but not like the struggle you have here with your fallen brain. Right? You're just going to, you're going to learn things, and you're going to be good at it, and you're going to spend eternity learning about the glory of God and soaking up these beautiful ideas about his creation. And you're going to work and cultivate and build culture, but it won't be like here. It won't be the struggle that we have here. And so the world will be restored and we will be in these resurrected bodies. But it ends with this, right? That's all pretty good news, isn't it? When you think about how great that is, but it's not great news for everybody. But those who do not trust in Christ will be raised to everlasting death. That's the flip side of it. Some of us receive everlasting life and we put our trust in Jesus and others don't, right? The resurrection also means Christ is going to judge the world. In Acts 17, these two ideas are specifically tied together. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance of all by raising him from the dead. So that's Paul talking. And what Paul says is, someday Christ is going to come and he's going to judge the world. And the way that we know for sure it's going to happen is because God raised him from the dead. Now, this isn't a sermon on hell. We've covered that a bunch in Luke. But, you know, people are called to make a decision about what they believe about life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. They're called to make this real decision. Either he was nuts or he's the Savior. And you got to choose, right? All right, so those are the kind of, that's the walkthrough. That's the theological idea. I want to just end with one more thing. Whoops. Uh, two more things here. Let's apply this passage. What do we take home from this? Like, these are all the theological reasons for the... If you want to learn more about the theological reasons for the resurrection, go read uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It's a whole chapter. Um, my other version of the sermon had a lot more of that in it. Um, but here's what I want to say. Two things. The first is, if the resurrection is true and all these theological ideas are true, then we are... A, God's people should be a people of hope. Right? We should be a hopeful people. Thinking about resurrection should make us face death, you know, courageously. We're all going to die. I mean, my friend yesterday, uh, who we were at his funeral, right? This guy lived 94 years. He lived a full life. And still, though, at the end of it, he died. That's what happens. We're all going to face this. Um, one, let me give you one. Did you put, I forget, did I have you put, Kayla, Randy Alcorn book in the thing? Okay, so one great resource to help you be a person of hope is there's this book, um, called Heaven by a guy named Randy Alcorn. And this book is fantastic. I think it's pretty great. Now, the one part about this book is I feel like there was no editor. You know, he says a lot of the same things like three or four times. That's okay. It's a big, fat book, but it seems like it'd be one of those big, dense theological books. It's just big, and it's not dense at all. It's just fantastic. And he goes through and he answers questions. Will my dog be in heaven? Will, what is, where is, you know, my grandma died. Where is she right now? When does Jesus come back? Like a lot of that stuff, right? So that's a fantastic book. Read that book. So the first thing is we're people of hope. The second thing, though, is, and uh, we're going to move this. This is our tie-in straight to communion. We're people of grace. Uh, Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Right? Jesus died and rose, and we are spiritually dead and then brought back to life. And all of it happens by grace. And what Jesus' death and resurrection means 
is the sacrifice was accepted. Jesus' resurrection was like the proof of payment that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. I hate to be the one to tell you this. This is a harsh truth. You stink, right? You try and then you fail and you try to do better. You try to read your Bible and you start a reading plan in January and then, or you read your Bible, you know, and then you, you give up in Leviticus. And then some point in the year, you read a passage in the Bible and you're really challenged by that passage. This is what the people of God look like. And then you go home and you do the exact opposite of the thing that you just read, that you just talked to yourself and said, I'm not going to do this thing. Paul did this. Paul says, I always do the things I don't want to do, <laughs> right? This is us. This is the people of God. We stink. And every time this happens, the enemy gets into our ears. It says, wow, I can't believe how bad you are. There is no way that a good father could possibly love you. But the resurrection says he does. He loves you more than you can know. The resurrection says the price has been paid, and so you don't have to keep on paying that price. You don't have to keep coming back to God and saying, I'm going to make it up to you. All you have to do is come to God and say, here's my garbage. Thank you for paying for it. Here's the debt I owe. Thank you for paying. You don't have to wonder, you don't have to wake up every morning and wonder where you stand with God. You're going to wake up and you're going to realize how terrible you are. Then you look at Jesus' resurrection, his death, his resurrection, and then his ascension we'll talk about next week.